Welcome to Power Yourself, where I talk about the most important topic in the world, you. Ever want to sign up for a race, but doubt your ability to be able to do it, or even know how to start your training? Today we're going to talk about what goes on into training for an event while looking at some of the struggles and benefits in this self-investment. Once again, back by popular demand, <laughs> one of my favorite people, and might I say a kick-ass athlete, Miss Fleur Umal. Hi, Jill. And <laughs> I'm not a kick-ass athlete. <laughs> I, I would disagree. Once we start talking about what you've achieved, we can let the listeners define what you, <laughs> as an athlete, are. <laughs> so thanks, obviously, once again, for coming back to the studio, taking the time and energy out of your day. I hope you know how appreciated it is and how beneficial I think it is to our listeners to pick your brain for a hour or 20 minutes, whatever we do. <laughs> Absolutely. No, thanks for having me back. And um, it's funny because I, you know, I love all the conversations we've had, whether it's been in the studio or poolside in Vegas <laughs> um, or over coffee. Um, you just ask such poignant questions. You force me to dig deep in my brain and, and help bring to awareness some of the things that I can kind of put into the shadows at times. So, you know, and this is one of my favorite topics to kind of talk about. Obviously, I just love talking in general. Um, <laughs> but this is one of my favorite ones to talk about because I just, I, I really come from a place of, you know, if you want to do something, do it. If it's uh, if it's something at work, something in your personal life, just you got to get out there and, and try. I love it. it. It sounds so simple. And guys, don't forget, like we get it we're showing up and trying to so we know how hard it is mm -hmm. but Fleur I feel it is as basic as no you got to show up and try absolutely so let's talk about this what got you into actually training um, well, so I've always kind of been someone who's been active, right? So from the time that I was kind of three or four or five, I think my parents signed me up for ballet um, when I was like five <laughs> years old or something like that. So for as long as I can remember being active, doing something that required practice and it required time and energy was just always part of my life. So my parents really valued that, um, you know, and I think so for me, I went from doing things that were just kind of fun um, and a way for my parents probably to have an hour break from me <laughs> to having it mean something to me. So uh, for me, training was that transition from doing something just um, for fun or because um, I had some time or because I wanted to stay in shape to, to really being purposeful about and intentional about the things that I was doing. Uh love it <laughs> so let's tell tell us tell the listeners what you've what some of the events are that you've achieved um okay well so maybe just to get an idea of what type of training we're talking about here sure so um so I would say that, um, so from the time, like say junior high where you had organized sports, I, you know, I played basketball, played volleyball, I played badminton, I ran on the track team. Um, and then I, it, everything kind of took a bit of a, a lull when I went into university because it was a little bit harder to, at that time, invest a lot of time into exercise when you're busy, you know, drinking, just joking, <laughs> um, but kind of, um, and going to finding school, yourself, finding, say, yeah, finding yourself, yeah, absolutely. And there was 
wasn't as many opportunities for that kind of organized sport. So um, I would say that that's when things actually shifted a little bit for me because I needed to find um, my own motivation, right? It didn't just show up because, oh, it's basketball season or it's volleyball season or, you know, you, you see your coach kind of come down and say, hey, Fleur, are you trying out this weekend when da da da? So in university, I kind of took it upon myself to to really value physical fitness and health and um and so I um in university um just this is going to sound really super corny but I got a membership at spa lady right because uh you know the uh, that just sounds amazing to right me, if it's actually a spa <laughs> <laughs> no oh, spa good. lady is a gym <laughs> but it's mostly for women it is only for women and so that just helped that was my foray into um, finding my own motivation to train um and then I did I probably spent 15 years rock climbing um sport climbing um indoor and outdoor some of that stuff um you know was again self motivated um, and that was super fun it was very social and I have to say that a, a lot of the reason that I do some of the things that I do is because there's a huge social component to it um, and then um, so I think the training that you're kind of talking about is more kind of some of the endurance stuff that I've done probably in the last gosh do I want to say eight years <laughs> um, so in the last eight years where I, I kind of took um running and biking and swimming to a kind of a different level so yes I would say it's a different level yeah <laughs> it's not the norm <laughs> so I've always been a runner um so I started running probably when I was like 12 or 13 um my dad my brother and I would get up before school and before work and we'd go for like a quick five kilometer run around our house and that wow. was how we would start what a our beautiful days. thing to incorporate in your kid's life totally and just the memories like we would just go for this you know it was a good way for us to spend, you know, half an hour in the morning before the busyness of the day kind of got started. And so I would say running is my passion. Running is my stress relief. Running is my um, is my happy place. It's my meditative it's place. It's your go-to. It's my go-to, absolutely, because I've been doing it for so Self-care long. Self-care go-to. Absolutely. Say. And um, I used to always just kind of be a slow, steady runner. I never ran with a watch. I just kind of would go out and go for a run and you know and and frankly what I really liked about running for me in particular is it kept me in really good shape so I could continue to eat cake and cookies <laughs> and drink wine and we both know <laughs> our food we really love delicious food absolutely um but um I would say you know as I got into kind of my late 30s I started realizing that um you know maybe I wanted to do something a bit different with running especially as I became less um, motivated with climbing um, because that, that tended to kind of be the thing that I would put a lot of energy into um, and where I got a lot of um, success or accomplishment feelings out of. Um, and so I remember, what do I, how did it kind of happen? So I used to kind of just run probably, you know, between five, five and six times a week. <laughs> So I know that's just, not, and that was just fun running. Yes. So that's a lot. That's For a those lot. listeners feeling like I would, you would never personally achieve this. I get it. I, I think the same way. So don't worry. You're not alone here. It's actually a lot. Yeah. And I would only run maybe five to seven kilometers each time I went out. And I, you know, mix it up with some strength training. Um, and then 
I can't. It was actually your sister, Aww. Missy. Um, <laughs> she uh, asked me if maybe I wanted to do a triathlon. So Missy, listen to this. Yes, you, you have had me. impact. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I can't really swim because I'm a bit of a sinker, right? I, I don't float very well. Um, and it happened to be the year that I was in Sweden doing my uh, degree. And so... Um, I said to her, I said, she was, when you come back, let's do a sprint triathlon. I know which one we should sign up for. And I said, well, okay, let's do that. And she told me the distance. So just so you guys know, a triathlon is a swim, bike, run. And yes, all like one after the other. <laughs> Sometimes when I tell people uh, that I've done like a triathlon, they're like, like, in one day and I'm like yes you do all three events in one day and actually you try to do it within a particular amount of time and so there I was in Sweden thinking I really got to figure out how to do this thing because I don't want to die so um, I started by um, you know going online and doing a bit of research around, you know, what are some, you know, training tools or techniques, what are some training programs I could do and and because we were doing a sprint tri- triathlon, which is a 500-meter swim, it's a 20-kilometer bike, and a 5-kilometer run. So the running part of it for me, no big deal. Even yeah. the biking part of it for me was not a big deal because I'd had a road bike for a really long time. Um, it's really good cross-training for me because um, all those kilometers running can be quite demanding on your knees. Absolutely. That was the other reason I actually wanted to transition from just running to maybe doing more of a multi-sport event because I wanted to kind of save my joints as I was getting older and biking is a really great way to still get that same level of cardio without having the same level of impact. Um, So I came back from Sweden, uh, went and did the triathlon, um, had several freakouts in the water even though I was in the pool, um, um, but managed to get through the bike and, and the run and it was probably the first time that I started thinking about time and distance and the first time that I started thinking that you know what I wonder if I could kick this up a notch um so um I think I uh, decided that I wanted to see what was possible so that's kind of how I live my life mostly Jill like (laughs) people who know me um they know that I'm a bit of a a visionary type person, right? Like I kind of think about things outside the box. I dream pretty big. Um, you know, not to sound arrogant, but I kind of feel like, well, why can't I do X? And I think that's a beautiful philosophy to bring, especially if you want to reflect back on your life and look how much you have actually achieved. I would attain it to having that attitude. Yeah. And I think that you, if, if you don't start to think about what's possible, you don't even know where to start right so to your point around how to even start so so I would say that was the first race I did was I did this sprint triathlon and you know it it went really well um I I actually um when I got back when I signed up for the race the race director had actually organized these um kind of info session or training sessions so you could go and learn about um, cause in my head, I'm like, well, how do you go from swimming where you're sopping wet? Like, am I going to have time to blow dry my hair, reapply <laughs> lotion? Like, how does that all work? Right. To get onto my bike. And getting the wet. That was my fear. When yes. I first, I was like, how am I supposed to get my swimsuit off and get on my bike gear? Yes. <laughs> something right? like, so simple. Something so simple. Cause I'm going to ride a bike. I'm not going to ride it in my like one piece speedo. Like how does that even work? Right. So 
I I would encourage everyone to go to the orientations, that if you're going to sign up for a race, make sure that you're reading the athlete's guide, right? What does the course look like? What's the timing look like? Where's your nutrition going to be? So do research is what you're saying. Do research and and, and attend these um, different seminars that these race people will put on because, you know, it's the only way you're going to be successful is if you can begin to visualize it. So I went to a few of her sessions. I started visualizing what it looked like. Melissa took me to try it and we actually got me a try suit which for any of those any people out there who want to um, do triathlon try suits you're not going to look pretty you just got to get over it you'll want to be comfortable so what a try suit basically is is kind of like either a one-piece or two-piece outfit that is very tight to your skin because you want to be aerodynamic and go really fast but you also have to be able to swim in it and then still have padding when you're on the bike but not too much padding for when you're running it reminded me like of a wetsuit Yes. Like, honestly, well, it, it, it looks like looks like the one I have. I know the shorts of yeah. a, a, a version yeah. of a wetsuit. Yes. And most triathlons are done in open water. So you most um, swims you do with a wetsuit, which for me, I can't imagine doing an open water swim without a wetsuit because it helps with buoyancy and so as you I would s- put it on over your tricep yes you oh, would okay, put it on and then you kind of whip the wet uh, the wetsuit off when you before you get on your bike so anyway so that was kind of my first thing was to do this triathlon which was a pool swim so I didn't have to worry about a wetsuit um so on top of triathlon training, I kind of, or interest in triathlon, I also wanted to see if I could push my speed on um, in running races, right? So, so something you were already good at. So something that I was really good at. I thought, you know, I wonder if I could get, you know, fast um, running. And so um, one of the things is that you hear um, about kind of like running a five-minute kilometer, right? Like that's the kind of the big thing. And <laughs> For me, it was six, guys, just so you know, <laughs> yeah. so don't feel bad. Um, and so I started kind of running with a watch and seeing my pace and what was my natural pace that didn't make me feel like I was going to puke and all those types of things. So, so fundamentally, that my mind just really started shifting around, you know, what I was doing for fun to what could I actually push my body to do? And that's kind of where that training mentality really shifted for me, Jill, was I wanted to start actually paying attention to my results. And so the minute you want to start paying attention to your results, you have to start actually putting some work ahead of time, right? And so that's where the research came in. I started reading lots of books. Um, And so... So it started with the kind of vision or reflection of what can this body of mine actually complete? Absolutely. And for you, you just took it to this whole other level (laughs) and gear, we'll say. Um, But you started, the way you started to do this was starting to like research and really reach out to people who have done it before and get their knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it really is this... I'm just always just so curious, like, um, what is the human body, mind, emotion capable of? And, you know, how does that work in my world? So, um, so yeah, so to date, just so we know what I have done, because I think Jill thinks I've done lots of things. I think this is a very impressive list. Um, so to date, I have, um, run I don't know exactly I know only the big stuff so I've probably run five marathons and so just for the average listener here not really knowing what that marathon is could you want to describe how long it it, actually is a marathon is 42.2 kilometers in one day guys one day (laughs) 
and hopefully in less than four hours. Um, yeah, so I've uh, done marathons, which means I've done several half marathons. Um, and I actually decided and I have done several 10Ks. I don't know how many of them, but um, so a few things stick out of my mind. So my fastest 10K was called the um, the cupcake run here. That's run in Calgary. <laughs> oh my was... God. I think I could totally succeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because there's cupcakes at the end and Manny Petties, just so you know. Oh um, and that was actually, um, and so the interesting thing to kind of make note of is the minute you start setting some goals or you start pushing your limits, there's going to be some natural things that happen. And one of the natural things that happens is injury. So um, having been a runner my entire life, not really running more than 10 kilometers ever in my life, my body seemed to tolerate that. The first thing that happened um, once I started pushing pace and distance is I started getting injured. So one of my first injuries was um, knee issues. It's called runner's knee, which is pretty common. Yeah, for everybody. I'm on that list as well. (laughs) Yes. And runner's knee is really painful because it doesn't necessarily hurt so much while you're running. It just starts to hurt doing everything else in your life. And I almost found it was hard because it was like, is this just my mind slowing Mm -hmm. me down and I should push through? (laughs) My being a wiener. Um, And so I remember going to physio and I think this was, um, it happened after I'd done my first fast 10K um, where I went to physio and she actually said my most dreaded words. She said, well, Fleur, you know, there's just some people who aren't made to run. And, you know, do you have to keep running? And I looked at her and I said, "Um, yes. And if you tell me that I can't run, we might as well start digging my grave. (laughs) Because I I just can't imagine not running. Well, because it was always an outlet for you. It seemed to be one of your key self-care ingredients. So it would have been an identity crisis, let's just say, if it was taken away. And I can tell you right now that I have my most brilliant ideas around my business when I'm running. So I've grown my business as a function of the many miles and um, time that I've spent either treadmill on the treadmill or outside. So so running for you, I just want to, yeah. I, I definitely want to jump there. It's not just the physical aspect of actually pushing your body past levels that you really didn't even technically know you could achieve. You just wanted to try. Totally. So it's not just about the physical aspect. Let's talk about that min- mental aspect for a second. Yeah, so the mental aspect of it is probably far more powerful. And I've I've said this to a lot of people because people will say to me, like, how did you get through a marathon? And I would say getting through a half marathon, there's kind of a physical aspect to it. And if you can train your body really well, you can get through a half marathon. A marathon is totally mental. Um, because at that, there's a certain point where your body is just going to do what you tell it to do, even though it's not really physically supposed to be doing those things, right? Like we've, we're way past the time in, in our history where we had to like run down our meat, right? So we don't actually have to run far distances anymore for any purpose because we can drive to the grocery store and get whatever we need. Um, so our bodies at this point, evolutionary, from an evolutionary perspective, we don't actually need to run very far. And so if you're going to force your body to run more than half a marathon, which is 21.1 kilometers, it's really a mental game. It's funny because I actually didn't realize how running was a mental game until my half. Yeah. And it was like, 
I got the physical training. You had to do it. But for me, it was getting past the defeat in my head that I could not do this or I wanted to stop in the middle of the race. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost like I went through highs and lows of roadblock, roadblock. (laughs) I want to stop to, oh my God, I cannot believe I am physically completing this and conquering this. Wow, I'm amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And no matter what distance you do, I would say that all of us hit like a a mental wall. And for me, my mental wall for half marathon is about 16 kilometers. So you actually know specifically when that is. Oh, yes. So talk about that mental wall. So for people like who's starting, because their mental wall might hit at 5K. Absolutely. You know, it's different levels throughout your, you know, your experience or where you are on this journey. But let's go through those mental roadblocks and what it does for us mentally so that we can help build the tools to get past those. Yeah. So your mental wall is really the point at which you begin to question your sanity and question what you're doing out here. So it's the point at which what you're, whatever you're happening to do has fallen from a place of confidence, of enjoyment, of pleasure to something that's just more of a grind, right? And so for me in running a half marathon, it really is about 16 kilometers where I'm way too far from the start. (laughs) Right. I've passed that middle point where I kind of have to keep running to get back to my car or to get to the food. It's the it is the path of least resistance. You physically actually stopped racing or doing the race. You're actually just running home. You are just running home. Um, But you're not close enough to the finish that you can begin to taste the banana because that's all you really want at that point is the the delicious banana at the end. And so, you know, you've got a good, you know, between 25 to 35 minutes left to kind of keep pushing. And so that mental block is when you've forgotten why you're doing this. So what I always kind of say is you need to have something during that point in time that you're going to get kind of grounded in to remind you why you're doing it, right? So even if it's you're doing it because um, you have a massage booked for after, whether it's like you get the, you, you know, it's another, you know, finisher's t-shirt that you're going to get to add to your pile of finisher's t-shirts or whether it's that you get to cross off something on your bucket list, um, so you have to get grounded in that. And if you're, if you're at all, if there's anything that, um, that helps you even for a short period of time, feel motivated, like for me, it's music and food. So I try to, you know, not all races allow you to have uh, music, but I try to time it. Um, and, and this is where people are kind of like, man, you are anal <laughs> because I know when I'm going to hit my mental block. And that's when I, on my iPod, on my iPod or on my playlist, I'm going to have music on there that's going to really start to motivate me. And, um, you know, I love the Backstreet Boys. So usually it's a Backstreet Boys <laughs> song. I know, lame, but um, that's usually something that will do something dancey and boppy and something that'll kind of distract me a little bit. Um, and that's usually when I save my favorite gel. I know, lame again, but my favorite gel or my fruit snack or where I'm going to just give myself like the, the last boost of... Um, kind of emotional comfort um, to help push me past that wall, right? So you've done the work of what you what you need on yeah. those mental roadblocks, let's yeah. call them, what you need to have to be able to push past. So first of all, you've invested in yourself to know what you need. Absolutely. It's music and it's those boosts of, let's say, protein, because I'm not going to call that food. Um, so <laughs> let's just... It's sugar gel at that point. You're just looking for sugar. <laughs> Open a can of pop, man. Come on. Or <laughs> yeah. Snickers bar. Actually, it's I Snickers bar, yes. I've heard of that. An yes. old friend of mine, he used to have Snickers bars and yep. Oreo cookies. Yes. I was like, 
I would totally get a cramp with that. I know. But anyway, I'm totally derailing here. Uh, so just talking about knowing yourself enough mm-hmm. to know what you need at that moment. Yes. So and, and maybe- normalizing the wall. Like not getting to the wall and being kind of like, oh my God, I'm failing. I'm not going to finish. It's like recognizing that every person gets to a wall where you... That's beautiful Mm -hmm. right there. Listen up, guys. You're not alone. Fleur, who's after accomplishing many, many events, is telling you right now that's actually a normal thing. So doing that investment in yourself and knowing how to push past is important because we all hit that mental wall. Yeah, it's it's part of the process. You know, it's every athlete will hit some kind of mental wall during, and for some people it's a blip and for some people it's an actual wall, like it's a speed bump, right? For some people and they just kind of get past it um, and you just, you just keep going. But for some people, it's an actual wall, mental wall, where you're just kind of really questioning what you're doing out there and you're just, you've stopped enjoying it. So, um, so yeah, so knowing it's going to happen, preparing for when it happens, knowing what you need to get past it, and then putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so for me, when I, um, when I first started thinking about distance, my first, my first thought was I really want to run half marathon. And I kind of honestly thought because my physiotherapist said to me, I'm not really made for running. I I never thought I'd be able to do a marathon ever. So I made it my goal to do a half marathon and that was going to be enough for me. But you know me, nothing is ever enough. As soon as you hit one goal, it's on to the next goal. Um, I remember finishing my first half marathon, my first true half marathon race. And to date, my fastest ever. <laughs> um, but I couldn't walk for almost three weeks after. Okay, that's not so great. Yes, I, um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't wear my high heel shoes, which is devastating. Um, and it, I, I really did start to question whether or not I could run beyond that because um, I started to think after putting in the time to train. And let's be clear, when you're training for half marathon, you are doing long runs on Sundays. You're doing hill repeats on Thursdays. You're doing your tempo run on Tuesdays. So you're putting a lot of time into making sure that you're going to be good for this race. Because fundamentally, if you don't, there's lots of people who can come off the couch and run. It is just a matter of how much injury you're going to risk and just how much you're going to enjoy it. So I always kind of say, put the time in, right? Because you don't want to be suffering the entire time. Yeah. For me, I always preach the whole work your whole body. Totally. And build your body so Mm -hmm. that it can have the ability to be able to complete it. Yeah. And I love how you're talking about the time because it is a lot of time and energy, guys. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. So like I get... And I remember those dreaded, I used to do them, I think, Saturday mornings when I trained for Mm -hmm. my half. Mm -hmm. Saturday mornings was always my long run day. And it got to a point where I was like, I'm doing like two hours. I'm Mm -hmm. taking two hours of my life Mm -hmm. and I'm dedicating it to this one thing. So I started to get a little almost resentful in a way. Absolutely. So what I did, a tool that I used, is I actually started listening. This is where I started listening to audiobooks and podcasts. Mm-hmm. So it felt like it wasn't a waste. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was getting a mental exercise, mm-hmm. not only pushing past my physical ability, but also taking in information that I enjoyed. And it almost gave me the distraction I needed Mm -hmm. to push my body physically. And the other thing you have to remember is that not only are you putting the two hours just to run, but you're probably spending four 
four or five hours recovering after, yeah. right? You're exhausted, you're depleted. Um, like I remember there'd be days when, when I would be on my bike for four or five hours, right? And like, that was my day. I'd get out, I'd do my like 130 kilometers on my bike, and then I'd be on the couch for the rest of the day, right? Food would be like ordered in because I couldn't muster up the energy to do anything else. So it's not just the time putting into training, but it's also putting the time into recovering. So um, so kind of back to my story of like after, after doing a half marathon, I decided that I actually wanted to do a full marathon. And I went back to my physiotherapist and I said, okay, I want to like, this whole not running thing is really not going to be for me. So I need to figure it out. And so she and I started working on my, um, my running gait and, and where I was landing. So I, w- I used to be a heel striker, which is how most people run. Um, and that was what was ca- actually causing the issue. And so she said that if you could become a four f- a midfoot runner or a forefoot runner, then, I mean, you're going to have other issues. Like there's going to be a transference of where you are going to struggle in your body, but you're not going to have the knee pain. And so I actually spent four months changing my gait, um, training myself to, to run differently so that I could manage this roadblock that I was having physically um, that was causing me so much injury. So what I'm hearing from you, though, as you're talking about this, is that you seeked out advice. Totally. Okay, so you didn't just do it all solo fleur. You actually reached out to some professionals. So Mm -hmm. being the physio person who stepped in and helped you look at your structure while you're running. Yeah. Guys, that's an option. If this is something you enjoy or something you want to try, there's many tools out there that you can actually pick up to help you succeed. Mm-hmm. And the, the best thing is really saying to yourself, you know what, like this is just a roadblock, right? So how to get around this roadblock? Um, it's almost and like a life lesson in totally, a way. Totally. Like if when, when life throws you something that you weren't expecting, like you're either going to let it take you down, right? Or you're going to find a way around it. And so this was my workaround. So I spent a bunch of months um, changing my gait. And that's when I decided to train for my first marathon. Um, And so um, once you've done a half, uh, you, you kind of start to think, it's oh, not that far, right? Because you've already done 21. I mean, it's only double that, right? I mean, that's... Okay, so I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so I would say that if you're going to start pushing distance, um, one of the things that was really helpful for me was when you're going to first try a new distance or a new event, you know, pick something that's going to be either fun or flat or something that is going to be easy, right? Like there's no point in trying to make your first big thing, something that's going to be really difficult. Um, You know, I didn't have that same perspective when I ran my first half. I ended up uh, my first half was the, the Rocky Mountain Soap Company half in Canmore, which was super hilly. And so I thought for my first marathon, you know, I'm going to try and do something flat. Well, where's flat and fun? So I thought Vegas. Vegas is flat and fun. <laughs> so my first marathon was actually the Rock and Roll Marathon in, in Las Vegas, which is run at night. The strip is shut down. Um, there's music playing. It's, Maybe you'll be able to convince me for that one eventually. Yes, <laughs> yes that one I can almost convince anybody. Um, and so by the time I actually um, ran that. Um, I had changed my gait. I no longer had knee problems. I was having some issues with my calves and my arches, but nothing that I couldn't 
um, manage with physio and with some rolling and some ice. Um, but and once again, reaching out to those professionals totally. to help you coach you through yeah. those blocks. And I read... Um, a book by John Stanton. He's the guy who I feel uh, like we all did. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. <laughs> the, like the in running the running room. room yeah. yeah. I would also say that if you're um, a novice runner and you want to learn and you want to make running part of your exercise regimen is to join a running club because it's super motivating. You can get some like free coaching. And you get to social. talk to people. And it's super social. Um, and if you're someone who's not social, um, you can always kind of show up and, you know, have your music and, you know, be a bit antisocial, but still show up because you can get some really good information from them. I always found too with a group or running with somebody, it was that accountability. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not in the mood and I don't feel like pushing myself, well, wait a second, I promised I would. So mm-hmm. I need to show up for them. So totally. it's almost like a, a little bit of a motivator when yeah. we need a little mm-hmm. bit of a push. So it's an option. And I would say that that's one thing for the most part I haven't struggled with in, in any of my endeavors is I, I'm not, once I kind of set a goal, I'm pretty motivated and I'm pretty good to kind of do stuff on my own. It's far more enjoyable to do with other people, but there's also times when uh, training with other people can um, be a bit detrimental because it may, might pull you away from your training plan and might push you or slow you down or whatever. So being really cognizant of what that means to you. So I would say that um, the first couple of years of training, I did a lot of stuff on my own, reading lots of books, talking to different professionals. But and what's the name of that book? Just so people have a tool. The running, I know it's running from start to finish. I, I think that's that, what it's called. I know it's upstairs, but yeah, yeah, I think it's called running from start to finish. And what's really great about it is he is that he really normalizes the process, talks about injuries, talks about um, you know what running could be for you, and then he's got a whole bunch of programs in the back, which is what I really followed. Is he had programs for if you want to just run a marathon if you want to run you know a three-hour marathon a 315 marathon a 330 so very specific very specific and I'm the type of person that if you tell me what to do I'll just go do it I don't want to have to think too much about it um so after I finished Vegas um I couldn't walk for several days, but not out of injury but just out of pain and I was my goal for for Vegas, my the goal for my first marathon was to finish. And that's a good goal. Absolutely. Like it might sound funny, but I don't think that is. Yeah. Like, I think just finishing is a huge success in yourself. Totally. It's saying that you showed up. Yeah. You gave it a try and you completed what you set out to do. Yeah. I think that deserves huge celebration. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's what everyone, when you're first starting to, to push distance in time, you really need to just make that your your primary goal. Um, of course, I'm the type of person who has secret goals. So I have the, uh, the upfront goal that I tell people, and then I have the secret goals that keep me motivated. And my secret goal was to run the whole thing without stopping and to try to get in under four hours. So, um, which I think is fairly ambitious but um, that's kind of a little bit who I am and so I managed to get the whole thing done I ran the whole thing except for water stations Um, I did walk through the water stations just to give myself a bit of a break and I finished. I think I finished like three fifty six something. So not you. bad. Um, all your goals, <laughs> I, I, but guys goals. know that. Like I want to say, like totally. that's a very ambitious goal, mm-hmm. and I think that's coming in over the average. Okay? Absolutely. So for for people being like, oh my god, I'm hearing floor. There's no way I'd be able to do that in four hours or the half in two. Don't get caught up on the time, guys. It's just about what goal you have in place mm-hmm. and setting up the tools and and learning the the tips and tricks that you need to reach 
your goal and whatever that is. And I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think that that's how you have to approach everything and just to have your own goal and not to be comparative to anybody. So I'd say that after I finished my first marathon, I, um, after losing a couple toenails and (laughs) feeling very, um, you know, kind of a bit energetically depleted, um, that's when I'd say the addiction actually hit because once I think I got over the barrier that I would never be able to run a marathon, I started actually just starting to think about what else can I push my body to do? And it was more about the discipline. Could I follow a training program, a diet nutrition program, and just be disciplined enough to achieve some of my goals? And so I think that's probably when all of it started, the downward spiral into um, the um, the desire to achieve something that I, I do believe kind of lies outside the norm. So uh, once I finished that marathon, I um, jokingly um, said to my partner, Jason, at the time, I said, you know, I wonder, could I qualify for Boston? I mean, I'm an old lady, so our times are a little bit small. Let's redefine (laughs) that. So not Um, old, but continue on. So to reiterate, it's not that I feel like I'm an old lady per se, but when you're older, to qualify for Boston means you can take a longer time to finish your race and qualify for the race. So... um, as soon as I started thinking about Boston, because it's a huge bucket list for anyone who's a runner, anyone who's out there listening, we all know the Boston Marathon. It's got great history. It's got some great tragedy as well with the bombings in 2013. Um, but it is something that if you're a runner, it's kind of a bit of that bucket list thing. And so I kind of jokingly threw it out there. And Jason, being um, who he is, became very logical in an air and said, well, you probably can do it. You just have to work really hard. And I thought... Well, I can do that. I can work really hard. And <laughs> sounds so like he piqued your interest. He a totally bit. did pique my interest. Um, now, the same year that I ran my first marathon, I did my, I think I did my first Olympic distance triathlon. So, so that's upping your game for the triathlon as well. So, distances. yeah. So, um, as soon as I started to, to train for races, I started doing a combination of, uh, running races and triathlon races Um, and the eventual goal and I'll just put it out there that my eventual goal was to complete an Ironman. So an Ironman for anyone out there listening who um, has never heard of this or you've heard of it and you think it's just about getting a tattoo um, you actually have to swim 3.8 kilometers you have to ride your bike for 180 kilometers and then you actually have to complete a full marathon. Which I think is mind-blowing. Yes, super mind blowing. And yes, that's all done in one day. Yeah. And in some some races actually have like a 17, I think, hour cutoff. So you have to get that all done in 17 hours. Now I know some of you are thinking, what do you mean 17 hours? Yes, that would be 17 hours of physical activity. Consistent. Consistent. Um, and really pushing your limits. So um so for me, it, it really became a bit of a monster. And um but it was something that I wanted to see, could I be disciplined enough to uh, train, to sacrifice certain things, to make it a priority um, to accomplish running an Ironman. And so with running an, uh, an Ironman, you do lots of training with swimming and biking and running. And so I ended up in the course of of trying to get to an Ironman, um, running lots of different races, um, and completing lots of different events. Um, and I am proud to say I have yet to accomplish an Ironman. I love it. 
love it's it. still out there. It's still on my bucket list. Um, so, but you've made some huge dents. I have. Um, like so you've I, done multiple. I've done. <laughs> Let's give uh, yourself credit. Yes. Where it's due. Yes. So, like I said, I've done. I think four or five, five maybe marathons, including Boston. I did manage to qualify for Boston in 2014 so that would have been my second marathon it was a Scotiabank marathon in Calgary so it was my home turf which and made a bunch it... of triathlons yes too like that's a huge accomplishment yeah huge accomplishment I think um and it's funny because I think um you know Boston in of itself was not so much about actually having a good race because um getting to Boston is probably the bigger challenge once you're there it's just about running another because marathon you have to so just to fill everybody in here to do boston you actually have to do qualifiers before you can actually run the boston yeah you can't just go mm, i'm gonna sign up and go to boston <laughs> yeah, yeah you actually have to what's that process like how many it's like four or something it four? no no you just have to qual- you have to run a qualifying race for boston which uh, the calgary marathon is a qualifying race so you just have to do uh, a qualifying race within the year that you're gonna um apply you okay, still have to so apply here you go here's the catch you have to run the qualifying race within the same year as the boston and if i remember correctly it's actually in a time frame yes so if you so for example i ran boston in 2015 which means you had to think i think you had to run a qualifying race sometime in 2014 and not every marathon that's out there is considered a boston qualifier so you have to go and run a, a boston qualifier race um and then you actually have to apply because lots of people qualify for Boston and I'm not sure what they use as a cutoff. Um, It kind of depends on who's all uh, qualified that year. And so even though you might make your qualifying time, there's no guarantee you'll actually get into Boston because if a bunch of people in your age group ran faster than you that year and the qualifying time for Boston was five minutes faster than Boston qualifying time and you ran three minutes into the Boston qualifying time, you wouldn't necessarily get to run it. So the average would go up depending on the people. Absolutely. So, you know, I just want to kind of touch base here and talk about, first of all, training. It's not only that mental game. So pushing back those or pushing past those roadblocks, those physical roadblocks, those mental roadblocks that maybe the dialogue starts not to be so positive or that you feel maybe you're at your lowest and you really can't push back or push past. So it's about knowing them and knowing how to push Mm -hmm. through them. So one thing I actually want to go back on regarding the mental game, Mm -hmm. because it's all about that, I feel. I feel Mm -hmm. training itself and doing races, I feel... It's training and physical, absolutely. I would say probably about 40%, Mm -hmm. and I would say 60% mental. That's my ratio because I feel it is. It's the getting up, showing up continuously, and mentally pushing yourself to that next level. So you mentioned something that was similar for me as well, and I kind of want to just talk about it. And that's the swimming aspect. You mentioned the fear. Yes. And for me, for my first, or for the triathlon that I've completed so far, that was the scariest Mm -hmm. part for me. It was open water, so I was in the lake, (laughs) sweating bullets. Luckily, I I don't know if it's not luckily, but I wasn't in the uh, the The suit, suit. the wetsuit. I was just in my tri-suit. But the open water swim, that was the huge fear for me. So it was funny. 
for me pushing past that fear, the rest of the race, I was like the cheesy little girl with the huge kid Chester smile. Yeah. Was it Chester cat or whatever? Yeah. The smile right across. People were like, is she actually running the race? Cause yeah. she's smiling too much. She's having too much fun. Exactly. Right. So for me, it was pushing past that fear. And yes. you mentioned having a similar fear yes. in regards to swimming. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about pushing past that fear? Sure. So, um, I, I have some irrational fears, so I am deathly afraid of drowning. Okay. We, first of all, let's, let's put it on the table, guys. Let's be vulnerable. Let's show up and say, we all have irrational fears going around in our head. Yeah. Okay. So no one's alone here. We're all showing up and we're saying, Hey, I got a fear. Yeah. So Blur, what's your fear? So I, I had two major fears in my life. One of them is heights. So that's why I took up rock climbing is to challenge that fear. And my other fear is drowning. So I did some whitewater kayaking in my career as well. And that was that really challenged that and swimming. And I'm not a good swimmer. Like I said, I'm a sinker. So I don't traditionally float all that well, which is really quite... Um, detrimental to swimming and so I have to work really hard at swimming and mostly for me it's really working past the fact that I don't think I'm a good swimmer so that's the mental game for me is so the, the dialogue that's actually happening in your head is the block is the block okay so I have two things that go on in my head or maybe three there's two th- the first thing that I say over and over again is you're a crappy swimmer you suck at swimming mm. the other thing that I the dialogue that goes in my head is that you're going to drown, right? That you're going to drown because you suck at swimming. And so I have had to spend a lot of time uh, working on those fears. And I actually um, had to come up with a, a bunch of different strategies. But to this day, I probably... I think there's only been two open water swims in my entire time where I didn't have a panic attack in the water and like actually just have to spend some time treading water out there. And that is the scariest thing because you can't see the bottom, right? Again, you're too far from the beginning to kind of like make your way back. Um, And then you've got this pride thing because for me, um, if you don't finish the swim, you don't get to do the fun stuff, yeah, right? Because exactly. I'm the same as you, Joe. Like as soon as I get on, as soon as I come out of the water, as soon as my feet hit ground again, I know I'm good because I can bike and I can run. My so, body got this. <laughs> yes. I, like the, the hard part for me is over. I always say to people that as soon as I'm out of the water, my race is done because I know that I can bike and I know that I can run. So the swim is is really like the real challenge for me. And a lot of it honestly is because I keep telling myself I'm a terrible swimmer. So I love it. So let's stop there. So let, or let's stay there, I should say. <laughs> so it's that dialogue. Absolutely. First of all, it's being self-aware that, that that dialogue is actually happening for you. And secondly, it's about reconditioning. It's yes. about rephrasing those words that are continuously recycling in your head. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? Um, so the first thing I, I've done when I, um, when I had a couple of really terrible swims is I decided to join a swim club and that's where I met some of my like amazing triathlon friends now is I joined the swim club and, you know, and the swim club has this volunteer coach and, you know, he's amazing because he knows that perfect balance of kicking your butt and, and also being compassionate when you're struggling. And so that was the first thing I did is I needed to, to read 
frame for me my swimming capacity. So I needed to go and train. I needed to get the help of someone to teach me how to have proper stroke form, how to have proper breathing form. I needed someone who was going to put together a program for me to increase my endurance, to increase my speed, to increase my stamina. Um, And so with that, I started to get a little bit more confident that I'm actually an effective swimmer. Now, there's a statistic out there that only 30% of the population can swim one kilometer. So if you can't swim a kilometer, you're in the majority. So if you want to swim more than a kilometer, you're probably going to need some assistance with that. It's not something that we do naturally. So that was a big thing for me is I needed to reframe in my head what my truth was. And so my truth now is not that I'm a crappy swimmer. My truth now is that I, I'm someone who struggles with swimming, but that if I put enough energy and effort and training and get some coaching around it, then I'm actually going to be as someone who can swim well enough to get through that first part of a triathlon so that I can do the fun stuff. (laughs) Okay, so I love it. So first of all, you were self-aware enough to know that dialogue is happening inside your head and how detrimental it was to you swimming the portion of the race. Absolutely. Then you actually, by seeking out that swimming group, I see it as so many different layers of support. Mm -hmm. First of all, emotional support. So people actually cheering you on Mm -hmm. and a group to be accountable. Mm -hmm. You also seeked out advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So somebody specialized in the area to know those tips and tricks to help you, like you said, build your skill. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that allows you then to be able to physically look at swimming as, oh, I can do steps to physically get better. Mm -hmm. Okay, here are the tools I need to complete. And there was a lot of validation because you realize that you're not the only one out there struggling, right? Like, because when you're in a race and you're out there hanging on to a paddleboard or treading water or like desperately trying to figure out how to hang on to those circular buoys, like that you are slippery, um, you, you begin to realize, you know, there's other people out here struggling as well. And so how do you just kind of feel less alone and less, less like you're just out there on your own? So, um, so, so all about having that conversation, totally oh, being able to it. say, you know, how, how is this okay? Is it okay that I'm, you know, struggling with this? And is it okay that I'm, you know, that the swim isn't going to be what I'm going to excel at, but I just kind of have to get through it with as, as little drama and trauma as possible. So being self-aware and reaching out. I love it. Totally. Absolutely. Get extra tools in the tool belt of yours to be able to push past that fear. Totally. Now you also mentioned panic attacks. Yes. In the water. Yes. Could you tell our listeners how you pushed past in the moment <laughs> those panic attacks to be able to survive that portion of your race? Well, you know, this is where being a therapist is a little bit helpful because <laughs> I, I deal with people who have panic attacks and anxiety all the time. And so there's um, certain techniques that I um, implement. The first one is to say to yourself, Fleur, you're having a panic attack. <laughs> this is what is happening. Well, you are not dying, right? You're not having a heart attack. You're not going to drown. You're simply having a panic attack because you have become completely invested in this catastrophic thought of of drowning so like first the first piece is just acknowledging what it is so i love it so acknowledge if you're having a panic attack panic attack mm-hmm. acknowledge right. what's actually happening yeah there. so don't try to you know push it down push it away yeah bring it up yeah deal with it deal with it um, recognize that it is something that's happening yeah so 
depending on how severe my panic attack is, I can either just start to tread water and I simply start counting. <laughs> I just start counting. So what's counting doing for you though? It's just distracting my Love brain it. from those catastrophic thoughts and it's giving me something a bit more rhythmic um, to um, to kind of slow my breathing down with. So if my panic attack is is so severe that I'm actually having issues with breathing, then I kind of tread water and start counting. If my panic attack is more um, just like I'm able to kind of keep breathing, I actually just start counting my strokes. So I count strokes to about 100 and then I start over again. Um, so each stroke that goes in is is counted. Um, and actually there was this one race that I actually counted. It's probably the race where I didn't, I actually just start counting right away and it really was helpful. I didn't end up having a panic attack so much so that about five kilometers into the bike I realized I was still counting but this time I was just counting my pedal strokes I was just like you can stop counting now but in a way like I see that as you're starting to take back control of your mind absolutely you're trying to keep it clean you're trying to keep it neutral and you're not going on that self-destructive mm -hmm. kind of record that can yeah. potentially play in all of our heads yeah so you're taking back control yeah and I basically say to myself okay Fleur you can you can swim 100 strokes you know you can swim 100 strokes. So swim 100 strokes, pop back up, tread water some more, hang onto a paddleboard if you need to. Um, and so it's really just about giving yourself like something that you're going to do when the panic happens, when the panic happens, not if it happens, when it happens that you're going to say to yourself, this is what you're going to do. So some people say lay on your back. Um, I tried that. Um, I get a little bit dizzy. Some people say just go to a breaststroke where breaststroke tends to kind of uh, normalize your breathing. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of different techniques. You just have to figure out which is going to work for you. And for me, for whatever reason, counting really helps. Love it. So it's about, first of all, guys, being self-aware, mm -hmm. acknowledging that it's happening, and also doing that pre-work of having the tools of how to push past and push through those events. Yeah. So what Fleur did, like she said, counting. So it's really cleansing her mind mm -hmm. and gaining back control of her thoughts so that it's not the negative, self-destructive record playing over and over in your head. Absolutely. So I love it. So first of all, Fleur... Wow. Like, I don't know about you guys, if you're listening and you're just shocked, like you seriously show up and you push your body to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. I think that's very uh, amazing, crazy. <laughs> There's so crazy. many words I could give you right now. But I think it's a beautiful thing to take away from today is that reaching and kind of looking for those goals in your life that you might not be near or be within what you feel is the realm, but setting them and taking, like you said, the steps, mm -hmm. just the little steps, just a step towards that goal. And it can be really surprising what you can accomplish. Absolutely. So once again, Fleur's given us some amazing advice here. So guys, put the energy into really being self-aware and knowing some tips and tricks to help push yourself past those mental blocks when they happen. Mm -hmm. Also, she talked a lot about really seeking out advice from professionals or from people who've done this before, whether that's books, whether that's classes. Take the time to invest in what you're interested in so that you can be more aware and get some tips and tricks to help you succeed. 
and also about that physical game. So preparing your whole body to be able to do that event, whether it's the race, whether it's the triathlon, or maybe it's a sport that you're picking up, making sure you're building your body as a whole so that you can complete that event. Okay, Fleur, before we wrap up today, what advice would you give somebody who's sitting here listening today, they're thinking about potentially doing a race? What would your advice be? Um, Definitely my advice would be uh, visualize what you're going to get out of it, right? Because at the end of the day, if this isn't rewarding or pleasurable or in some way something that's going to build you up, there's no point in doing it. So if you're going to do something, just know for yourself what you're going to get out of it because that's just going to make some of the sacrifices that you have to make to do some of these things that much more worth it because it's not like you're giving up anything but rather gaining something in return. I love it. So making sure it's really connecting with you Mm -hmm. as an individual, maybe your values or what you want to achieve in life. Mm -hmm. And making sure that's your goal and not somebody else's. Absolutely. Fleur, once again, thank you so much for showing up and being here and sharing all of your awesome experience with us who's maybe striving to do that next step. Uh, Always appreciate your time and energy that you bring to this podcast and as a reoccurring guest. So thank you on behalf of everybody listening today. Thanks, Jill. It was totally fun today. (laughs) So guys, that's the end to another episode here of Power Yourself. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We do have an iTunes account that if you would, please take the time to reach out and make a review Give us a rating and that way more people when they search, they can come across us as well. Don't forget guys, in that craziness that is life, always take time for you and remember it's about powering yourself.